Welcome to the A Jesus Church podcast. We're a family seeking to become like Jesus, empowered by His presence to partner in God's creative work of restoring the world. We pray this episode encourages and equips you along the journey. We're all in process, becoming something. Like a potter throwing clay or an artist mixing color, our lives are being formed. Different backgrounds and experiences blemished and cracked. Each day, an opportunity to move into or out of all that God has purposed. So the question isn't if we are becoming, but rather who are we becoming? And in this family, we want to go on the journey of becoming like Jesus. Hey, good morning, friends. How are we doing this morning? Yeah, I did notice a little bit more energy in the room. I, I, this morning during the nine o'clock, there was a little bit of like a lethargy. I don't know if the sun was bringing something out, cold air maybe, but maybe if you need to, turn to your neighbor and just say, hey, wake up just a little. Wake up just, just a little. Wake up just a little. That'd be great. Awesome. Hey, I want to draw attention back to one of the announcements that Shelby said, as you mentioned, we are going to, we got Seek Night coming up this week. So excited about it. Uh, jumping in to kind of the, it's really the first one that we've done so far in 2023. We are doing uh, a meal together as a family like we always do, but this one's going to be a little bit different. Uh, in the name of being a family, we're actually going to do this potluck style. So I want to invite you to come on out and bring like what your favorite food is and maybe just a little extra to share. Uh, we're going to participate together and enjoy a time together as a family with Jesus, worshiping, praying, seeking his face. It's going to be amazing. I'd love to see you there. Uh, hey, so welcome, welcome. And we are, if you're new here, we have been in a series called Becoming Like Jesus. Uh, if you are new here, I'd love to meet you. Just come on up and introduce yourself. But we definitely will need a Bible. So if you need a Bible, go ahead and throw a hand up in the air. Uh, one of the men and women around the room uh, would love to get one to you. The last couple of weeks, we've been talking about simplicity um, as it relates to like possessions. And that last week was simplicity as it related to priorities. And we were slated today to talk about one of my favorite passages and this idea of simplicity of purpose. But I have decided to call a bit of an audible. Maybe it's like, because we're in football season, that word's just fresh in my mind, but uh, a bit of an audible. And we're going to have a, a family conversation today. And we're going to talk about a slightly different passage in Luke. So if you would go ahead and flip open to Luke 12. Today will be a little bit norm, uh, a little bit different than normal, but uh, for those that are curious about the passage that we're skipping over, don't worry. Uh, there's still going to be some stuff on the podcast this week about it, and I will be circling back to it in like a couple months from now because it's literally like one of my favorite passages, so we will get it done. Today, though, let's look at Luke 12, starting in verse 29. We're we're jumping ahead a little bit in the story and picking up in the midst of Jesus's teaching on trust and anxiety uh, and the nature of God's faithfulness. And this part of Luke, it falls right in the midst of one of Jesus's like most famous sermons. So if you would, we're gonna read the text out together. here. Could you stand up to your feet? I'll, I'll read it out over us. Luke 12 starts in verse 29. It says this, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. 
but seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out and a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Father, we come to you with open hands. We pray that you would open the eyes of our heart, open the ears of our heart today. We wanna see you, wanna hear from you. Lord, would you be our good teacher? Would your Holy Spirit like move in us and shape us to be the people that you want us to be? Everything we're studying, all of this is about you, Jesus. So help us in our journey to become more like you. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. <clears throat> it was uh, April-ish, 2008, uh, when the reality of our situation as a family began to kind of really sink in. We were a family of six. Duncan, our oldest, was seven. Kelton was six. Mackenzie was five. And Hallie would have been two. We were packing up all of our belongings uh, and, and really it all just kind of fit into like half of a single bedroom in our apartment that we lived in in Glasgow, Scotland. And we were moving back from Scotland to the US. We had a little bit of money in savings, but honestly, I had no idea how we were gonna make it. Uh, I, I knew our family, my mom and dad weren't gonna like put us out on the street, but we were a family of six young kids and it was quite a handful, especially Brittany, my wife, I mean... Just kidding. I don't know if she can hear me now, but uh, just kidding. No, we, we, we were a handful. We were a big family. There's a lot going on. And I, I knew we would be taken care of, but I still had anxiety. We were faith-funded missionaries, which means that our paycheck came from, directly from people's donations. Uh, and a number of our larger donors, they were dropping off because of the looming 2008 recession. Uh, and any of you guys remember that? And the fact that we were moving back to the U.S., and people were like, well, you're coming back stateside. And then on top of all of that, our peers were kind of entering into that next stage of life. They had moved from their like starter homes into their like family homes. They had moved from their, their early, you know, early first jobs into their careers. And it was hard to not feel like we were going in the wrong direction. Like, the opposite of what everyone else was doing. I remember us wrestling with God through passages just like this. Look at the ravens, consider the lilies, seek first the kingdom. And I remember thinking, we're trying, God, but there are so many unknowns and so many bills. And the thing is, is that we weren't just trying to care for our own family's needs. Along the way, as missionaries, we'd been missionaries for eight or, eight or nine years at that point. We had picked up missionaries that we were supporting and teammates that we were supporting and churches that we'd helped plant that we were supporting. There, there was all of this need and it felt all too impossible. How, God, is this going to work? This is impossible. But those words, seek first the kingdom. And these things, the rest of these things, they will be given to you. They wouldn't let go. So we prayed and we kept moving forward. A month or two later, three 
crazy things happened. First, we received a message from some childhood friends, people that we'd grown up with, and they had gotten this huge, unexpected bonus at his work. And they felt like as they were praying about it, that God was telling them to give it all to us. I mean, who does that? That's crazy. Second, some of our closest Scottish friends handed us an envelope with thousands of British pounds in it, which at the time, the dollar was like two to one. It felt like we'd won the lottery. I mean, how does those kind of things happen? And then third, as we were moving back to the U.S., one of our accounts was in Canada, and I, I just transferred all of the Canadian dollars into our U.S. fund but the dollars were like doing this weird thing like that's like never happened before. And suddenly it was like loaves and fishes. Our money multiplied. Don't worry, it was all legal. <laughs> it was all legal. But it was like loaves and fishes. Suddenly we had this sum of money that we should not have. And it was less than a year later that God opened the door for us to purchase the home that we lived and raised our family in for 12 years. Impossible. Impossible. Praise God, we follow the God of the impossible. Luke records this important message that Jesus gives to the crowds of thousands that were literally, literally trampling him. They were trampling each other. They were trying to get Jesus' attention, likely trying to see another miracle or maybe get a free meal like they heard about the last time. And they were all pressing in. The main weight of Jesus' message was all around trust and anxiety, which I will be jumping into in a couple weeks from now. Don't worry. We're going to kind of dive back into this text a little bit deeper. But there's also this other conversation that Jesus was having around the idea of simplicity and money. And we know that Jesus is going after this because of the really severe parable that he uses to tee up the text that he's teaching. And that parable is in Luke 12. So if you just want to scan up just a few verses to Luke 12. Jesus tells this intense and challenging parable about a man who has a very successful year. He got into and out of Bitcoin at the exact right time. <laughs> I mean, just he timed it perfectly. He bought low, he sold high, or in his case, he yielded an abundant harvest. So much so that he looked around and he said, man, I've got so much crop. I, I can't even fit it in my own storage facility. So I'm going to tear it down. I'm going to build a brand new one. And I'm going to fill it up with all of my extra grain. And I'm going to live the, less, the rest of my days in comfort and leisure. No more work. No more struggle. For this guy, the good life was taking from his abundance, kicking back, eat, drink, be merry, YOLO, right? I mean, you only live once. But the problem with that particular phrase, eat, drink, and be merry, is that it's only part of the phrase. There's more to it, isn't there? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we what? Die. Yeah, it's kind of a dark ending, right? It, it was, it was an, idi an idiom in the Hebrew culture and actually also a common proverb in the very hedonistic Greek world. Enjoy it all as much as you can because this is all we've got. And sure enough, verse 20, 
God confronts the prosperous farmer, and that very night he dies, leaving his vast wealth to someone else. And Jesus, Jesus tags the moral at the end of this story with these words, Luke 12, verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. This, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things, hoards up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Like I said, kind of intense. Now, here's the thing. This parable is not a slam against being profitable. It's not a slam about having a good retirement strategy or even about changing one's pace in the later years of life. It's not, it's not about that at all, although it could give some healthy context and clarity to those things. No, this parable is about what it means to live in the kingdom. It's an example of what Shelby referred to a couple weeks back. It's when our unchecked consumerism begins to wage war with our soul. And this parable makes a statement about what the good life actually is. Notice Jesus is not critiquing success or even enjoying the good things that our success can bring. No, he's critiquing the man's greed. I mean, he's really, he's, it's coming in contrast to this idea of simplicity. It's, it's like greed or hoarding. It, it lies in contrast to taking less, to giving more away. And Jesus is drawing attention to what it looks like to have generosity towards God, which kind of begs the question, what does it mean to be generous towards God? It's a crazy question. It's a crazy idea. What does it mean to be generous to the being that literally holds the universe in his hands? What, it, it, he has everything. It's kind of like shopping for your dad, right? Anybody ever struggle with that? And he, yeah, this is my daughter's in the front row, right? It's like, you, what do you do with a guy that's got everything? It's so hard to shop. God has everything. What do you buy God for Father's Day, right? Well, I wanna, I wanna hold on to this really important question. In fact, if you would, almost like mentally set it aside because we're gonna keep coming back to it as we continue to explore the text. What does it mean to be generous towards God? Jesus continues in verse 22 through 30. And he turns to his disciples and he tells them not to worry about what they're going to eat or what they're going to wear. He, he says, hey, look at the ravens. Consider the lilies of the field. God knows what you need. Have faith, says Jesus. Entrust your needs to him, says Jesus. We we are going to dive way more into this text in a couple weeks, but I, I want to make this point super clear. God knows our needs better than we do. And he has more than enough to provide. God knows our needs better than we do and he has more than enough to provide. Then Jesus says these famous words in Luke 12, verses 31. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Matthew's gospel says, seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all of these other things, they're gonna be added. Now, what does it mean 
when we say the word, we use the word kingdom or kingdom of God. We, we define the kingdom of God as those places where the reign and rule of Jesus is active. I mean, followers of Jesus here in the room, we, we actually believe Jesus is king. And it's his rule where his authority is willingly accepted that we find the good life. That is the good life for us. You follow Jesus, you call him king, being under his authority, that is the good life. And on this side of his return, we partner with Jesus through his spirit to magnify his authority, to bring restoration and to proclaim the good news of his coming and of the kingdom. I love the way that theologian Trent Butler explains this verse. He says this, Freed from worry and stewing over material things, what are you to do? Set one goal and accomplish it. Be part of God's kingdom. Do the work he gives you to do. Concentrate on being God's instrument to establish his kingdom here on earth. As he provided for the mission of the 12 and the 72, so he will provide for you. Surrender your fear. Don't let anxiety rule your life. Trust the Father. The delight of his life is to find ways to give not just daily needs, but his whole kingdom to you. Kingdom heirs don't have to worry about the small stuff. That's such a great quote. I mean, this is what it means to seek first the kingdom of Jesus. This is what it means to follow after him with all that we are. And it also helps us to understand what it means to be generous towards God. Being generous towards God means putting his kingdom first. Prioritizing his kingdom in front of everything else. Putting all the things that he cares about to the front. That's what it means to be generous towards God. If you want to live a life that looks radically different from the boasting barn builder, then put his kingdom first. If you want to live a life that loosens the grip of worry and anxiety from your heart and your mind, then put his kingdom first. Jesus continues, Luke 12, 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. I love I love the tenderness of Jesus in his words in this moment. Don't be afraid, little flock. Don't be afraid. The Father wants to give you the kingdom. Your Father, the, 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 the one who is the king of the universe, he wants to give you life, real life. So Jesus says, don't be afraid of giving your stuff away. Don't be afraid of, of living with open hands and, and generous hearts. Don't be afraid of taking care of those around you who are in need, of, of caring for those that are in the margins, of, of, of even your enemies. Don't be afraid of giving because God has given to you and he's going to give you his kingdom. Let that sink in. Little flock, he's going to give you his kingdom. And this is another part of what it means to be generous towards God. Being generous towards God means caring for those in need. 
The passage uses the word poor, but we can see through the life of Jesus and the disciples that, that they lived in this radical community that literally cared for everyone who had need. It was an amazing community where there's generous outflow of resources and time and money and healing. Just like God gives his sunshine and rain to those who love him and those who hate him, just like God gives the very breath that we breathe to those that love him and those that hate him, we follow him in learning to give. Then Jesus says, in verse 33, provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. I thought about labeling this chunk, like put your money where your heart is, but I'm not sure that that exactly gets at what Jesus is going for here. I think Jesus is just acknowledging the reality of human experience. When we treasure something, when we care about something deeply, often we put all of our resources into that, whether it's money or time or energy Conversely, if, there's, if there is treasure, if there's things that we love, often our heart is right alongside of those things. Any grandparents in the room? Grandparents, a couple grandparents out there? I mean, what happens with one of your grandkids when they come to you and it's bedtime and they just ask for a little bit more cuddle? Right? I mean, I tell you what's going to happen. It was, if it was your kids, it would be like, stop wasting time. Just go back up to bed. Right? But if it's a grandkid, it's like, oh, it's okay. We can do a little bit more, right? It's like, like, I'm, you know, mommy, daddy, can I have another cookie? No. Grandma, you bet. Have as many as you want. <laughs> right? I mean, that's the way it works. Our uncles and aunties, like, I mean, that's the thing is because our heart is tied to those things. And where our love is, where our compassion is, where the things we love are, often our treasure comes. Often our resources come. The final part of being generous towards God is love. Being generous towards God means loving him wholeheartedly. This is because Jesus knows that he doesn't have to create a bunch of rules around what we should do with our money because our money will follow our heart. And it's, his, it's our heart that he wants anyways. Let me say that again. Our money will follow our heart and our heart is what God wants anyways. What is the greatest commandment, Jesus? Well, everybody say it with me. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, with all of your strength. I mean, really, honestly, most of Jesus' teachings never wander too terribly far from these core principles, these core ideas. Jesus wants our love. And our treasures, they just kind of tag behind. So what does it mean to be generous towards God? Well, it means putting his kingdom first. It means caring for those in need. It means loving him wholeheartedly. Now, I know I probably piqued everyone's curiosity when I made the comment at the front end. 
using the word audible and then family conversation. And then I began talking about money. So it all probably became pretty clear. But there's been a conversation that's been on my heart for a while, one that I've been putting off for a while because nobody likes talking about money. I mean, it's just awkward, right? I mean, unless you're like into sales and then it's like, that's your thing and then at work maybe. But in these settings, like we don't want to talk about money in our communities and, and, and even in like our accountability circles of people, we, we don't want to talk about it. It's just difficult and awkward. And, and in many ways, it's because it has such a grip on us. It's, it's, its claws are so deeply in us. It is difficult for us to talk about it without it being painful. It's so much easier to talk about being a generous people and telling stories about all the amazing things that your guys' financial gifts have done. And there have been a lot of those amazing things. But the problem is, is that we have a problem. The problem is that we have a problem. Once upon a time, AJC was this large, multi-site megachurch with all their 80 staff members scattered across multiple locations. We had this huge budget. We supported work around the city, around the world. But then God, God called us to become something different. And so we went on a journey of transformation, of painful pruning, sometimes accidental, sometimes intentional, until we started to see a path forming in front of us, a church a church, a type of church, a type of people big enough to resource the mission of God through developing leaders and tools and resources for our community to, to raise up another generation and then another generation and then another generation. A church nimble enough to move, able to adapt to this world that we live in, able to reach the 99 and the one to set aside time, energy, resources, to go after the sheep that has wandered away. A church creative enough to start new expressions, to, to reach out, to transform our city, to, to heal and work in our community, to build and create and grow beautiful things. A church inspired, wholeheartedly devoted, deeply in love with Jesus a church passionate about his mission, generously loving our neighbors, a King Jesus family, our church. And then the world imploded. More than just a pandemic, people turned on people Brothers turned on brothers, sisters on sisters. And so the church went through this tumultuous season and we had to make cuts. Cutting the budget, cutting people. We closed, we opened, we had to make some more cuts. People left, people came, we had to make some more cuts. And then about a year ago, we thought, well, maybe, just maybe, our feet were enough on solid ground that we could start running again after this vision that God had put in front of us. And then inflation, and then recession. The problem is, that even though we are growing and God is doing 
amazing things around here. Just incredible stories every single week of God's favor and the way that he's helping us step into our community. It's amazing. Even though all of that is happening, our giving hasn't reached sustainability yet. It takes a crew, a a large crew of part-timers and full-timers, custodial, kids team, admins, finance, pastoral team, youth, etc., to run all that we do. And really, it, between the salaries and the, and the benefits, it was like over a million and a half dollars just to pay the staff team. And then there's this building. As you know, real estate is a little expensive in Portland. Anybody give me an amen, right? Yeah. And there just, there, there really just isn't many spaces like this. And so... Over $900,000 a year goes towards our rent just to keep the lights on in this space. Imagine if that was your rent, right? It's kind of shocking. And that doesn't include the hundreds of thousands of dollars that are used for ministry every year here at this church in the city of Portland and around the world. But we're currently trending about 20% down month by month. And though we have some reserves, we are slowly but surely eating into those reserves constantly, which means that we're going to run out of them by the summer. And at that point, we will no longer be able to pay our bills. So we're facing cuts. And I've heard the voice of shame God isn't with you. If he was, there wouldn't be any financial problems. It must be faith. It must be sin, whatever. The thing is, every single week I talk to another church that is wrestling with the exact same problem, almost the exact same percentage. And the thing is, is we live in this world right now where evil men and women are sitting on mountains of money and some of the most godliest, humble humans I know are working in the depths of poverty. So I think our linking of blessing and money is a little bit broken. No. I know that God uses our circumstances. I know he does the pain moments to change us, to mold us, to, to, to adjust our trajectory but often, more often than not, these are the moments where he's after our discipleship, where he's after who we're becoming and he's creating a moment for his glory to shine, that we can show him off when he shows up and does the impossible because he's a God of the impossible. So where does that leave us in this moment here at AJC? Well, we as a team of elders and pastors and staff, we know just like most of you that, that there's only a few ways that you can affect a family budget, right? So we make the adjustments. The first thing that we're doing is we are praying diligently and persistently. Our God is the gracious provider of all things. We as a staff and elder team are committed to praying daily for God's provision. Honestly, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what God's gonna do. Because I want a story. I've been a part of ministry. I've been a pastor now for, for decades. 
And I've been in churches where you've been able to point and say like, that's God. There's no other explanation. And so I anticipate that in our story. I want to turn to him and, and at this exact same time, not give in to anxiety, not give in to fear. Because this isn't a God provision problem. He has abundance. We got to stay bird watchers and florists. Consider the ravens, consider the lilies, right? That's what we got to do. And it chases away our anxiety, chases away our fear. But second, we're reducing spending. Now, Honestly, our budget is already very lean. We have been reducing costs and cutting staff almost continuously for about five years. And as we've transitioned from one church into the other church, it has just been a painful process of cutting things down. We are currently, as a staff team, actively cutting budgets again. But we're coming to grips with the fact that, we're, that there's only so much that you can cut. And we may have to cut from our pastoral team. And I don't say this as manip manipulation or woe is me. I want to be clear about that. That's not what this is. But in the past, when we've made cuts and we haven't talked about it, we've gotten feedback from people like, we would have loved to have known. We would have loved to have stepped in and maybe responded to help. Well, my friends, now you know. Now you know. Our goal is to try to bring those two lines together, to, to bring down the expenses and bring up the giving. Because our passion, our hope, our vision is to become a church that sends things out, that resources, that equips, that gives away, that is generous with all that it has. So third, we're trying to increase giving. Now, Again, I want to be clear, AJC, you are a generous family. Many of you over this last year, have, last year have been incredibly generous. I don't know where we would be if you hadn't given the way that you've given. In fact, we have more, a higher percentage of givers now than we ever have as a church. It's just that we're a much smaller church. And, and, and inflation and all the expenses has driven each of those gifts, the overall gifts, down. But I want to say this as clear as I possibly can. Thank you. Thank you for believing, for generously giving, for stepping in, for seeing the needs. Thank you. Thank you for paying salaries, for paying cold bill in here sometimes. It gets a little cold. We could definitely turn that down and save some money. <laughs> Thank you though. Thank you for stepping in. It's those dollars that keep us moving forward and keep us on the mission that we are about. Thank you. Part of what God is doing in this financial crisis is he's calling us as his people to step in and get more creative. That's why we're doing a potluck for Seek Night. To, to use what we have in more creative ways, to step in more effectively as a team. In fact, we're really excited about some of the opportunities, ways that we can use this building, ways that in the future we can even use the ministries that we do to generate income, to generate resources for the sake of the kingdom. But I also believe that God is calling out another generation of radical givers. 
which as I was processing this and processing with our teaching team, it kind of occurred to me, I literally could not remember a single time that I'd ever heard a teaching on giving, a proper teaching on giving. What the Bible has to say, what they did in the Old Testament, what they did in the New Testament. I was like, I don't think I've ever heard a teaching. I started to like look through my notes, look online. I couldn't even find one. It's kind of hard to grow in something if you never talk about it, right? Right, wouldn't you agree? So here you go. This is the power four-minute class version, the Cliff Notes version of the Bible and giving. We'll call it Bible Giving 101, okay? So giving the Old Testament, it kind of looked like three big things. There was this idea of tithing, there was this idea of offerings, and then there was this idea of compassion, it was started, kind of set in motion under Moses in the temple, the original temple time. Really, all tithing is is just like, a t- it's like the tax that helped keep the temple giving. It just means tenth. A tenth of every dollar that came in helped keep the temple moving. Putting bread on the show table, keeping the priests fed, keeping the families fed. That's what the 10% was for. But second, there were offerings. There were times where God called people into responding and people would respond just out of like the generosity. God gave me this beautiful crop, so I'm gonna give some of it back to you. Lord, I've struggled in this sin in my life and I really am changing and I want you to know it, so I'm giving this back to you just as a statement. It was like a momentary response, an area of offering. And then finally, compassion. Like what were the needs around you? the person down the street that you needed, that God's calling you to care for, the person at your school that God's calling you to step into with them, areas of compassion. We see these as the repeated three ways that the Old Testament stepped into giving. Now, Israel, they they had seasons where they did okay with some of this, and then they had seasons where they did horrible with this. In fact, many of the prophetic rebukes were about their failure to do these things. Step into the New Testament. Jesus comes on the scene and he begins this whole new way of kind of almost decentralizing the temple. The the church becomes this people that moves out. The temple becomes a living temple that goes all these different places. And we see kind of these two main themes step up in the early New Testament church. This idea of support for the work of the mission. So we think about those women that supported Jesus' ministry, these wealthy women, right out of their pockets, they supported all that Jesus did. And then right behind that, uh, Paul talks about how churches were stepping in and helping the work of mission to go forward, like missionary support. And then, of course, compassion. And there's all sorts of beautiful stories in the New Testament of Paul having people set money aside so that they could care for the needs of a community that was going through a famine or it was going through an earthquake Paul calls the church to step into compassion. But then Jesus also in his ministry was saying like, but be compassionate to the Samaritan. Like don't walk, don't walk by on the other side of the road. The beautiful picture of the, of the Samaritan is somebody who comes and generously cares for their enemy. It's crazy. We're gonna talk about that in a little while. But it's powerful. Then, We step into the church era after the New Testament. And in the church era, there's been a little bit of an adjustment. As the church, again, returned to becoming like this larger organization post-Constantine in the last couple thousand years, this idea of tithe resurfaced back up to the top again. What does it look like to help make the church thrive? What does it look like to keep the church moving forward in its mission 
And there was this call, it kind of became the accepted idea that, well, people will give 10% to help the church move forward. But that's not all. There was also a missionary movement, especially in the last several hundred years, of people being sent all over the world, funded by, by individuals, giving support to keep the mission moving forward into the hardest of places and, and, and giving generously above till the point where it actually hurts. And then last, compassion. The call never stops that we, as individual followers of Jesus, we would love our neighbor as ourselves. And our neighbor is that person that's right there in need. And this carried forward into the church era. But you know what's interesting? In the last season, I've seen a, a, another kind of addition that slid in. And it's this idea of offering returning. And this is especially present in the like, like millennial and Gen Z generation. A responsive giving Man, I see a need. My heart gets moved towards this thing and I want to get behind it and help fix that problem, help dig that well, help put education into the life of this community. I want to step in. I want to help. It's, it's kind of a return back to offering. And whereas I found that like a lot of like builders and boomers, gen, and maybe even Gen Xers, it's a little easier for them to think of tithing like a regular rhythm. For the millennials and the Gen Z, it's kind of more that like giving of an offering. Here's the things, friends. Jesus doesn't draw lines around what we're supposed to do. He just says, follow me and bring it all with you. The answer isn't, is it 10%? Is it not 10%? Is, should, how much should we give? It's where your heart is. There's where your treasure will be. Seek first the kingdom. So, how do we respond? How do we as a church respond? I want to invite you to consider a few areas. First, I'd love to invite you to join us, to join the staff and the elders and the team to beginning to pray regularly, diligently with us. Would you even consider maybe setting up like a regular alarm on your phone to just pray every single day for God's provision that we would see his miraculous hand in our day, in our time? Second, would you consider something in your life that God might be asking you to lay down? Is there a place that God might be calling you to cut back? Maybe, I know this is a little bit radical, but maybe it's a little less coffee. I know, I know. Is there a way that God might be calling you to pull back? You might've noticed, and I know I say this with fear and trembling, but there are no donut holes out there today. It's $12,000 a year, my friends, $12,000 a year. Is there a way that God might be calling you to cut back? But not just for the sake of simplicity, not just for the sake of, of, of living with less, but for the next one, for the sake of sacrificing. Is there a way that God might be calling you to give to AJC? I'd love to invite you to consider stepping in. Now, you might be out there and you're like, I do. In fact, I'm a part of that tribe that's like been given 10% since I was like seven. Thank you so much for what you're doing. I wanna challenge you that, that maybe God might be saying more. Maybe God is actually calling you to step 
into maybe one more percent, or, or I don't want to put a number on it, maybe God's calling you into more, to cut back, to give more. Maybe you're out there and you're like, I'm kind of like, I'm that like millennial culture. I love to just kind of give as my heart leads me. Maybe the more for you is learning to step into regular giving. Maybe this is the time to learn how to diligently set money aside every single month to follow Jesus and his kingdom in this way. Maybe it looks like that for you. Or I was talking to somebody about this like a like just a couple weeks back as I was wrestling through and they were saying like they had never even considered giving before and I was like, well, you know, you could start with 1% and they're like, no, I'm starting with 5%. In fact, I'm gonna start the 5% club. She wants to make t-shirts that say, I'm in the 5% club, come join me. I know, I'm, it's, I'm totally telling you the truth right now. This is serious. <laughs> and it's a beautiful thing because it's a call to step forward courageously because friends, here's the thing. When we cut back and when we start to give, give more, a crazy thing begins to happen inside of us. Giving is infectious. It's kind of addicting. And when you start setting people free with the resources that God has given you, you start to receive life like you can't imagine. It unlocks doors inside of you, things that where, where the enemy had his claws in you, suddenly they fall off and you feel more freedom to do crazy things. I was having this amazing conversation with one of the guys that's a part of our tech crew and he was just like talking about giving and his, like, his smile was gigantic. He was so amped up, like giving is the best thing I do. And what if that was our heart posture? What if we flipped it on its head instead of like it being the awkward conversation, it became like what we're about because God has given so much. I'm gonna to commit to you guys every month or maybe every six weeks or so, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get up here and I'm gonna talk about how we're doing. I'm gonna lay out kind of the, the, the next step, where we're at in the process, how the giving is adjusting, what we're doing and how we're trying to make cuts and, and maybe even hopefully share some stories because I anticipate that God wants to show up in a way and blow the doors off of our church. His provision is waiting for us if we will step forward courageously. And I'm excited to see what he will do because this is the God of the impossible. God of the impossible. A few months back, I'll leave with this. A few months back, I was praying and I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, Tim, I need you to walk this path because it's how I'm gonna make you into the church I want you to be. That's the call. This is our Red Sea moment where we get to stand on the shore and watch as God makes a way. Would you stand, please? I invite you just to go ahead and close your eyes and open up your hands. Is there a place, is there something in your life, as I was mentioning about simplifying, is cutting back, it's like, that's the thing. That's the thing I want to draw a circle around. I, I don't need three of those things. I, I really only probably need one. 
or, or that's, that's a thing that God's been calling me to give to him for a long time. I want, you, I want to invite you to hold it like in your imagination out in your hands. Is there a place? Is there, is there some, even maybe it's a number or a percentage, something God's saying like, this is what I want you to step in with. I want you to hold that in your hands too. What is God calling you to give potentially? Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you are what we want. We're here for you. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are, we're thankful for all that you've given us. We came here with nothing. We had nothing. And you've given us so much. So now it's time, we want you to, we want you to bring your new wine out of us in the form of blessing, in the form of money, in the form of time and energy and life. We want that. So Lord Jesus, we just pray, show us, empower us, give us the courage, give us the ability to do what you called us to do. We love you, Jesus. We love you. This is all about you. Have your way. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to partner with us through giving, visit us at ajesuschurch.org.